Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, um, I'm Stephen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Stephen James underscore. Hi, I'm Dan, Arsenal fan. You can get me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. All right, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. A London rivalry podcast, although it certainly doesn't feel like it right now based on how our clubs are doing. But let's not start there. Let's start with the title race where I was going to say none of us are, but yeah, Stephen, we can talk about that in a little bit. But Manchester City and Liverpool coming into the season were expected to be the two favorites, are still the two favorites. But yesterday, both of them given a legitimate scare, um, having to both come back from behind late to win their matches. With both of those matches being as tight as they were, but them still winning, do you sense more that there's like blood in the water and that one of them could lose soon? Or does it further convince you that they can win even when things aren't really going their way? Yeah, well, I mean, for, for, so basically from what I took from kind of this these games is, you know, we, we've been seeing this continually over the last few weeks is the kind of spirit, you know, that that winning mentality, you know, the the traditional kind of cliches of these are the kind of games that they win you the title, that kind of thing. But um, if you actually do look at the both of these teams really over kind of the start of the season, um, the points tally would have you believe that, you know, they're doing excellent. But if you actually watch them play, to be fair, I've I've really thought, especially with Liverpool, I'm shocked at the, how high they are at the moment in terms of points because there's a lot of games this season that just could have swung the other way. You know, it just feels like, kind of I don't want you know I don't want to say it's all luck because obviously you know they you you make your own luck mm. but it, it yeah if, you know Liverpool at the moment they are kind of riding that momentum and um especially in in that game against Aston Villa it really felt in those last few minutes that the like I was I had no doubt that Liverpool were going to score it, even with you know just kind of five minutes to go it just it just felt like it was coming and um you know that's credit to them um, yeah, I think it's probably, I don't know if there's a lot of blood in the water, but I think I'm taking anything away from uh, just them, both of their forms recently. Um, it's that they, they are beatable or at least drawable. Um, I think I think Liverpool have been getting, have been more, it's they haven't been getting unlucky than they have been getting lucky. But like to never get unlucky is lucky in, its, in itself, which is very confusing. But um but I think they've been they've had a lot of close games and they've been able to squeeze them all out. That just the chances of that continuing just don't seem very high, um, even if they are playing reasonably well while squeezing games out. Um, so like I don't think I don't think either of these teams are particularly beatable. I think there's a there's a large gap um, between them and everyone else. But I think their recent form indicates they are more beatable than I thought they were earlier in the season. Yeah, but mostly, mostly it feels like they're just turning draws into wins. Like, like I can think of three just off the top of my head games that you know, like they 
very feasibly could have drawn. You know, like you've got the the, the Mane penalty against Leicester. You got the Henderson mistake for the one out of goal. Um, and you've also got like even even you know at the, in the Chelsea game, Mason Mount missed a pretty pretty. You would you would back him nine times out of ten to to put it away, kind of in the dying minutes of that game as well. And Liverpool were really holding on. So, you know, they, they've turned they've managed to turn these kind of games that you would traditionally think that the way that they performed would lead to a draw, but they've turned them into wins. So, yeah, and then it's going to certainly be interesting next week when they face each other. I'm sure that will be discussed at length both this week and next. Um, to see how those two break. But then after that, Liverpool still have a pretty nice schedule afterwards. But City facing several of the big six, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United, and Arsenal, uh, all before Boxing Day. Uh, do, do you think that some of those clubs will catch up to City or, you know, in name only, are Manchester United and Arsenal really scary fixtures at the moment? I feel like I feel like the, the Man United game, despite kind of the form, always poses an issue to City in some regard, like whether or not it ends up with them dropping points or anything that's yet to be seen. But, you know, it obviously comes to mind some pretty great games in the last few years. The, the kind of Pogba turnaround to stop City winning the title, um, that was that was a pretty, pretty memorable game. And, you know, I, I guess United are pretty capable of pulling out performances in the big games this season it seems like that's kind of where they've saved themselves for so potentially um you know obviously man city got up got a game coming up against chelsea as well in the next month so um that's at the etihad so you know you'd back them to to win that game but you know there, there will be some pretty tough tests and you know um gen- generally man city do pretty well against against the big teams and and um as we've seen this season so far where they've actually dropped their points have been with teams that kind of sit back and kind of defend for the whole game. And, you know, the Wolves one's the best example where they get hit on the counter. I think the Chelsea game is the scariest just because they're the only team I think is actually good of those three. Um, but, yeah, as Stephen says, like United is always a bit of a test just because it's like an inner-city rivalry. Um, it, I'd be su- I, I think I'd be surprised if they win all three just because that's really difficult to do. But... Um, uh, they'll be favorites going into every one of them. So, you know, you know see what we take from that. Um, and yeah, Arsenal could be interesting just because it's an away game. But also, I mean, who knows who will be manager at that point. We'll get that later. But um, are they have, Arsenal have not looked convincing for a while now. So even away, even like at the Emirates, they're still pretty beatable at this point. So uh, we'll see if that comes to anything. Yeah, will certainly be interesting runs for both of them. But I, I largely agree with you guys, uh, that especially that I haven't been particularly impressed by either of them in certain matches throughout the season, or at least for stretches of matches throughout the season. But they do continue to just pick up those points at just ridiculous rates. All right, next, uh, Dan, I want to talk a little bit about Unai Emery, but also uh, Solskjaer. Uh, we've talked about Emery a lot the last couple of weeks for obvious reasons, but Solskjaer losing another match this week, this time, uh, to Bournemouth certainly hasn't increased his standing. If you had to guess, both of you, who do you think is more likely to lose their job soon, if either? Um, so we get the rundown a few hours before the show, and I've been thinking about it the entire time, and I do not have an answer. Um, or a good, I don't have a, uh, an answer I'm confident in. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Solskjaer, but uh, yeah, again, I'm not confident in that answer at all. Um, just because it seemed like some of the noises out of Old Trafford is that, uh, you know, they're kind of just behind this Project U thing, which that's at least something that Solskjaer can hang his hat on. Whereas Emery, if it keeps going this way, doesn't really have anything. All he has is like political struggles within the dressing room and his captain getting booed off and 
cursing out the fans, um, which is not great. Not as good as like you know getting you players through. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna say Solskjaer, but I'm not confident in that at all. So we'll see. Yeah, even even as early as kind of like a week ago, I think I would have like nailed nailed my kind of feelings as that Solskjaer would would be the one to go. But kind of the the tumultuous kind of Xhaka situation of the last kind of week has really, I think, um, done some damage to to Emery's credibility as as a manager. And I think that um, you know those kind of things ref- always reflect poorly on the on the manager. You know, they always come back. Um, and obviously with the 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 kind of rumours, I suppose, that have come out in the last couple of days of of the of dot 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 Jose potentially coming into Arsenal as well. Um, I think that you know, there's usually um, it, it, whether or not they're actually looking at hiring someone like Jose. I think that the fact that they are even <laughs> potentially holding these kinds of meetings does not um, does not look great for Emery. Yeah, and especially the way that the captain's the captaincy situation like happened at Arsenal, like that is he, Emery has come under a lot of fire for how he decided the captaincy, and to see then have his captain like you know have that happen, it just it's really put him under the microscope. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, if that's it would be really funny if that's the thing that gets him gone, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Because uh, as far as much as like you know things seem to have changed over the last week. The noises out of the club are like they're gonna they're gonna give him time, which I don't think is the right decision, but it might be the decision we make. I don't know. Yeah. Sure, yeah. They, it, oh, sorry, I was, I was just gonna I was just gonna say, Kevin. I, I think that um, the, the other thing with Solskjaer to consider is obviously obviously the history of him being a great player for the club, and you know he, he's got a lot of credibility. Maybe not in the managerial sense, but he he did have that that early spell, you know, which he's kind of dining out on at the moment. The whole Ollie's at the wheel phase, but he's um. You know, he he does have that to his name. You know what? Like, where is Emery standing at the moment? What's what can he kind of back himself with? Right? It, um, it really just a, a loss in a Europa League final, and and the <laughs> captaincy debacle. So, and obviously benching um, arguably like the the club's most talented player. So, <laughs> I think that Emery's really kind of um, out in the middle of a of the ocean without a paddle. <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to intercut to mention about Solskjaer. I'm sure you guys saw it this week, but the statistic that Solskjaer has lost more Premier League matches than Klopp in 200 fewer matches doesn't read particularly well. But as you mentioned, obviously has earned a lot of good faith in there as a player, and I'm not sure uh, that any of us believe that the Glazers will make the right footballing decision there uh, at the helm of Manchester United. All right, I also wanted to talk uh, a little bit about today's Tottenham versus Everton match at halftime. It seemed like we wouldn't have much to talk about at all. In the end, turns out there was quite a lot of horror injury to Andre Gomez, which I would encourage you to not look up. Um, Although there were questions about whether or not that should have been a red card, there were also a couple of penalty shouts. A ball bounces off Yerimina before hitting Deli Ali's hand. I'm personally not yet sure if that disqualifies it as a handball because I thought the new ruling was that if it touches a hand in the box, it's a penalty. There was also a sun penalty shout where it probably should have been, but then he oversold it, so then it wasn't. Just a whole lot of these calls being wrong. But on the upside this week, we finally saw a couple of calls overturned from what they were on the pitch for penalties, which we had not really seen yet. Thus far, it had kind of looked like the referees' union was sticking to their own, always sticking with what the referee said on the pitch rather than what happened. With all of this in mind, do you view VAR as moving in a positive direction? Because we knew it would be growing pains. It certainly was in Germany when they first implemented it in the Bundesliga. Do you view some of this kind of tumultuous period as a sign of painful growth? 
or do you think it's just painful and degrading to the game? Yeah, well, I mean, like, so I've I've actually been like a a pretty big, maybe I wouldn't go as far to say fan, but you know, I was definitely one of the people backing the introduction of VAR, um, just based just based on purely the fact that it just it just really really felt like we we'd reached a point in the last kind of especially five to six years of incompetency at the kind of refereeing level in England, and we were just seeing so many <laughs> just terrible decisions that it kind of felt like it couldn't get worse, um, but. I feel like the way that it has been handled in England, especially, has kind of it, it's been baffling. Like it, it, it's there's so many decisions that have just that have just left me questioning my sanity. And like in in this game in particular, you're talking about the Everton Tottenham match. I mean, that's a great example because the the inconsistency just inconsistency just from game to game. Like for me, I didn't see much difference in what happened with Son. And what happened with um, Jorginho and Delafeu in the Chelsea Watford match? It really it looked like it was a that both of them were initial fouls, but then the player continued moving and then embellished kind of their their fall essentially a, a few seconds later or a second a split second later. And um, you know one was given one was a penalty was given the other a penalty wasn't given. So I mean the inconsistency is just crazy, and I mean. With with the Delhi Ali handball, I mean that for, for me personally, just as a neutral in that game, just looked like an an absolute blatant penalty. It looked like it was his arm was in an unnatural position. It looked like it was affecting kind of the natural flight of the ball. I I I'm just I'm really lost for words, kind of especially in the last few weeks, just how many how many incredibly incompetent decisions we've seen, especially with the amount of time that they're taking to make these decisions too. It's it's um it's quite concerning and that's coming from someone who who really thought you know i'm ready for the growing pains there will be kind of an adjustment period but it's it's not looking good right now uh yeah i was also a big big advocate of var and it's not been good to this point i was it's just weird with they had like the first nine games they just wouldn't reverse anything and then last week they decided to just i guess they had a meeting to discuss feedback and just like, okay, now we're actually going to change things that aren't just offsides, um, which is, that is progress in itself is progress, but oy, it's not, it's not as good as I would like, um, because it seems like a lot of decisions they are still getting wrong, um, which is pretty rough. Um, I guess you kind of have to lay that feet of the referees um, or the people who are uh, re-refereeing or not re-refereeing decisions. Um, but yeah, no, it's not. It's not been great. I like the way it's been used in the Premier League has been very, very poor. Um, it, it's got to get better because it clearly can be better. Like, we've seen it be good in some competitions, or at least mm. not trash. And well, yeah, right. the, World the World Cup, Cup was very penalty heavy, but it was consistent. It yep. was very consistent. Yeah, and yeah, it's just. So I think at the beginning, I I'd be intrigued to like wait a few more weeks to just kind of reevaluate the second period because the first period quote unquote before they decided to like start changing things they clearly like reflect over they over corrected from the world cup where they're like we want to make everything like, we're not going to change anything unless it's clear and obvious and had just the most seen definition of clear and obvious ever to where nothing was getting changed unless it's an offside decision um and which are the least see- clear and obvious it's worth yeah. adding yeah well that's a whole like that's a whole other decision where maybe like the offsides rule is not entirely fit for VAR or for like video replay. That might be a thing. I don't know. That's a whole other discussion. But um, 
now we'll now we have the second period where like now they're actually changing calls. I so I'd like to get a bigger sample before we fully analyze it, but the early signs are not good. They are not good and, at all. And they're, and they're still not using the monitors, which you know it, why why are yeah, they even there? I, like why why I honestly they, did not yeah. know they had them until they specific <laughs> until a broadcast specifically pointed them out last week um, to say yeah we have them they just never use them like oh okay well sure. Oh. Yeah, I think I'm getting to this point where um, I've hit the cynical stage where we didn't trust these referees based on their track record in the past. Mm-hmm. And now it's just those same referees that are in charge of a new system. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm just starting to be like, why did I ever think that this would change it? Like, unless you have specific VAR referees who, not to be rude, but know the rule book or can instantly judge whether a decision is correct or not rather than just the same people that make these uh inconsistent decisions like you're mentioning i I think that's why we're seeing such inconsistency in var in the premier league is it has been such a subjective refereeing experience for all these people in the past and they're just carrying that into var which is why you can have the same situation in two different matches and come away with two different results instead of say and biasedly in American sports where usually when it goes to a central location it's kind of like almost like a style guide sorry borrowing from my writing experience um where it's measured against the rules rather than measured against someone else's opinion um so maybe that would be a way to change it but I agree it, it it's good that they discussed that it wasn't great and that they've made changes but it's certainly not good enough yet have you have you have you heard about the the kind of five referee plan that kind of got thrown thrown around the last few weeks that mm-hmm. potentially like could be a way forward where they have the the five VAR referees kind of in in Stockley Park and basically they they all see the footage individually from different angles and they have basically a button and essentially like all a five yes, no button. button. Yeah, essentially. And, it, and it's kind of like majority rules sort of thing. So you apparently you're supposed to get a kind of like a more even keel thing. Who knows if that would help? Um, just thought it was an interesting kind of new angle. <laughs> that is just an average of their individual opinion. Yeah, I think that, <laughs> yeah. I think that has its own issues, but it is interesting. Definitely. Um, I guess yeah. it's better than just one person's opinion, which is what we're currently uh, operating with. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
All right, and we are back. Uh, Stephen, we'll start with you talking about Chelsea. So the last few weeks on the show, there's been obviously talk about City and Liverpool, as we did earlier today. There's also been talk about Leicester, um, talking about are they top four competitors? And then obviously, uh, after their huge win against Southampton, there were discussions about whether or not this Leicester team is man by man better than the one that actually won the title. But there's a team that's been doing very well that just kind of hasn't really been talked about. And it is, of course, your Chelsea side. Are you comfortable that, that currently Chelsea are kind of being overlooked in all those top four title discussions? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that that's always that's always the best way to go, kind of when the media is overlooking things, especially when, you know, we're dealing with a team that is full of kind of young players and they maybe don't have that kind of uh, that media training. And, you know, when that expectation comes into the side you know someone like Frank Lampard can obviously help dull that a bit but if if they are expected to kind of win game after game after game and you know the media is talking about them a lot that can kind of weigh on young players so I think it's definitely been beneficial that maybe the Leicester story has taken a bit more of a precedent or maybe the the kind of decline of Man United and the and obviously Tottenham as well this season from where they've been in, re- in recent years is um is kind of being more more focused on. Yeah, and then to follow up, one of the reasons that I've heard both on this show and elsewhere is that at some point, Chelsea's inexperience is going to come get them, whether it's the inexperience of the players, obviously, in the midst of this youth revolution, the inexperience of Lampard, obviously, never previously having been a Premier League manager. As a fan, do you feel like that may come back to bite you at some point, or are you confident you can just kind of keep projecting upwards? Oh no, hundred percent. It, it'll it'll come at some point. There will there will be a period of ex, of um of kind of extended uh, results where things don't go our way. It, it's pretty natural. Um, happens to most teams during during the year. I, I think that um, especially con- coming towards the winter period, things will be tested. Um, it's really going to kind of test the fitness of the squad because that has been a big issue this season. Um, obviously, a lot of people have been talking about how we we have like quite a bit of depth, and we do. Um, but you know, we, we've also had quite a lot of reoccurring injuries this season, which have been really frustrating. Uh, people like Emerson, um, playing, having such a great season when he's in the side, but just can't get, get that consistency going at the moment. So a kind of busy winter period may force people like Alonso into the side, who I think is an extreme weak point. Um, I think that it means more games for Ross Barkley at some point, which, um, just, completely detracts from what we're trying to do with, you know, the, the Kovacic Jorginho midfield, which was so, so excellent this, this weekend. And, you know, I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that there will definitely be that period. It's about how we handle that period and then how we, um, essentially how we bounce back. And I think that everything that we've seen has indicated that Chelsea are capable of going on a, on a run. You know, we, we've had a fairly, a fairly kind fixture list for the last, the previous six games. Um, I think it's fair to say, um, so it'll, it'll really depend on, yeah, how we go in kind of the next two months, I think too. And then we'll be able to really evaluate what, um, what this team is made of. It'll definitely be interesting to see how all of that transpires, uh, much as it pains me. Good luck to you though. Cause Chelsea are fun to watch right now. Loathe though I am to admit it. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of keep up that current pace coming to you now, Dan, to talk a little bit about Arsenal. I said we'd come back and talk about Emery. Here we are now. Uh, Last week, one of the assertions on the show was that it would be difficult for any other manager to come in and do much of a better job, that 
you know, Emery is getting a lot of the blame, but there are obvious weaknesses in the squad, particularly defensively, whether you think that's because of the defensive players or the players in front of them letting everyone through. Um, so just curious as to your take on that. Do, do you think that it's a squad issue or an Emery issue, or is it just somewhere in the middle? I mean, I'm sure it's some of both, but I think Emery is a very large part of it. Um, I really do not think he's doing a very good job of managing the team of players that we have right now. Uh, I, one of the most frustrating things and most damning things about him is that he just, like, we are, at least, let's say in theory, a team going from a top four, and we just don't play like it. We let teams come onto us and turn everything into a two, like, a, a game where we have two big chances and they have two big chances, which is, I mean, ideally, realistically, we tend to give up more than two big chances. Um, but um, like we, it's every, we try to make everything a close game when we ha- when we have a more talented side, which is just not the correct way to approach a game of football when you have more talent, uh, especially offensive talent. We try and like make things low event and, and just that's not the correct way to approach things. He very much approaches it like. Uh, like an underdog he goes into every game like we're the underdog when we should be playing on the front foot and it tends to bite us like uh, the Sheffield game is a good example um pretty low event game each team had one big chance they scored theirs we didn't that is kind of what Emery seems to go for almost and that's just that's a way to get you 60 points not the necessary 70 to 75 um and not, that's not even taking into account the fact that I think playing defensively is stupid considering all the attacking talent we have and the lack of defensive talent. Just not even not even talking about that. Just the way he approaches games as a manager of a team that is going that is trying to get 70 to 75 points, which is what we expect you need to need from a dot four every season. This is just not the correct way to play to get that. Yeah, understood. Also, um, we saw... Uh... A quote from him after the match where he talks about how the match went how he wanted what what does that read like as a fan of the club it it just i'm it reads like everything i've been screaming for ages but he's just this isn't his level like he's not a top four level coach he is a coach of a europa league to mid-table team that's what he that's how he coaches the team um and like i don't know if you say like our talent is that level i, I mean that's a that is a discussion we can have. I would not agree with it because we have some very, very good attacking players and attacks can propel you to the top four um, if they're well-managed enough. But even, let's say, we have Europa League talent and Europa League manager. We, you can replace manager, you cannot replace the talent. And if we're, we're not going for Champions League, what is the point? Like, there is no point in going for Europa League when we are uh, one of the richer clubs in the country. If we're not aiming for top four, we're not doing it right. Um, and if we're settling for a manager who is very clearly not a manager of that level, then we're not doing things right. And the board should be questioned and every the, the, the point of existence should be questioned as a football club. Because like, like we are we have a very high revenue base, which means and a very high wage bill, which means we should be shooting for a very high place. If we're not doing that, there's no point. Hundred percent. Like, I mean, I mean, I remember a lot of the discussion coming into the season, and um, I remember a lot of pundits being like, basically, yeah, well, Arsenal are almost a lock for top four this season. I mean, like, kind of the way that it was looking with with all the other clubs around, you know, with obviously the turmoil that Chelsea were in and and all that kind of thing. Um, it 
and obviously you talk about like the attacking talent that Arsenal have. Like for me, there's there's no excuses. Like you, you're talking like some of the best attacking talent in in the league with like a bum a Young, Lacazette. I mean, what it what it, uh, obviously the man management of Ozil has just been just a bit of a disgrace, to be honest. Really, yeah, that is really going under the radar. How awful that is. Like even if you don't it's think bad. Ozil is, even if you don't <laughs> think he is what he is, which he's. I mean, to be fair, every time he's played this season, he's played pretty well. But forget yeah. that. Let's say Ozil is uh, 60, 70% of the player he used to be. Let's let's say that, just for argument's sake. Um, like, that's still better than a lot of people were putting on the bench. Like, it's better than Bakayo Saka. As much as I think he's a promising talent, it's better than him. It's better than Gabriel Martinelli, even if, again, I think he's a promising talent. And it's it's just... It's better than a lot of people in our squad. It's better than Danny Ceballos. Um, slightly different positions, but not the way he's been playing Ceballos. He's been playing Ceballos at 10, which is a, another mismanagement of players. Another mismanagement of players. He's playing Lucas Torreira as a 10 and a box back midfielder. That's not yeah. what he is. That's not what he plays for Uruguay. It's not what he played for Sampdoria. He's frustrated about it. He's struggling in position because that's just not what he is as a player. Like every time, I, there are a few specific instances of this during the season. But um, since I know Kevin saw this game, the Arsenal-Tottenham game early in the season, mm. he was playing like progressive ball between and every time we got the ball in transition and went to Torreira, things stopped because that's not what he does as a player. It was incredibly frustrating and I was mad and I couldn't even be mad at Torreira because it's not his fault. It's just not what he does. Um, Emery has mismanaged a lot of the players in the squad um, and that's... That, and that is separate from the earlier point I made about the, just the, the general team approach to games. He's also mismanaged individuals. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what, what's he done to Nicolas Pepe? Like, <laughs> I, to be fair, I think Pepe has been a bit unfairly maligned just because he hasn't got right. the goals. I think he's been played reasonably well a couple last couple games. But then, as you say, he doesn't start him today or not today, yesterday. He didn't start him, and maybe he brings off on Saka over on off him uh, over over him off the bench. That's possibly terrible man management too. I, it just I think. Yeah, Emery's doing a terrible job. I really do. And again, like you say, we arguably have the best striker in the league. Like, yeah. uh, Aubameyang is at worst second behind um, Aguero. I, well, he, was he? Did I read right that he was the the quickest guy ever to reach fifty goals for Arsenal? Uh, second behind Ian Wright, second. but fifty right. and seventy eight. And a lot of those games he was playing wing last year. Right, like he was yeah. playing wide for a lot of those games, and he still is fifty and seventy eight. And that doesn't even count or a bunch of us are sub uh, not a. A, a number of those are sub appearances as well. He's an incredible striker. Like we've seen incredible strikers carry teams very high in the table on their own, not even to mention having Nicolas Pepe and Mesodozil and uh, Alexander Lacazette. Like I know it's a different Premier League in uh, 11 12, but Robin Van Persie carried us to third on his own. Yeah. Literally on his own. Mm -hmm. That team was terrible. Um, to say that, like, and again, I do not think we are better than Chelsea. I don't think that's on the cards, but like the teams we are beating the top four is either Leicester, who I think have been good, but are overperforming pretty significantly and I think are pretty thin and are susceptible to injury. Um, Spurs, who we've been talking about them, how awful they've been all season today, and United, again, talking about how terrible they've been. Like, this is, these are not heavyweights that we need to beat for fourth. Like, where this isn't, I, I know the Premier League has been pretty good the last couple of years, but this is not some we need to get 80 points to get top four. We don't. Um, and we definitely have a talent to get the probably 70 to 75 required. Um, I, I do not agree with the assessment that like no one could do. This is some incredibly difficult job. Um, I think the squad is misbalanced, but I don't think it's bad. It has a lot of talent. The talent is in weird places, 
but the talent is there and it can be used better than it is being used currently. So the, so the question looms like I was going to ask oh, right before we started the show, who, who would you have? Who would you have uh, in, in for Emery? Yeah, it's tough. To, I don't know who's, who is willing to come in mid-season. Um, that's yeah. always kind of a tough job to get. Um, obviously, Allegri is probably like the best manager available right now. Um, I have no idea if he's willing to come in mid-season, and I'm sure like that's a difficult job to take. Um, at this point, it really does feel like I just don't care. Just get someone who will play attacking. Like, just go and be aggressive. If we go out and lose because we are like getting outscored every because we concede too many goals, at least we are giving it a try with what I believe is the best system to do. Um, it, I, at least I think we are doing the correct thing, which I do not believe we are doing now. Um, and that's not even talking about all the political stuff behind the scenes with Ben Emery is mismanaged. Mm-hmm. So I guess I don't have a good answer for who I think I would want to come in right now because I don't know who is free to come in midseason. Right. But I, I honestly don't know if I care. Mm. Um, if you stick with him or if you don't stick with him, what would be your expectations in those two categories? Um, if we stick with him, I cannot see us making top four. Um, I really can't. We're, we've been a bad team throughout his tenure, uh, there's no reason to think it's going to get better. There's no reason. Like even last year when we finished fifth, we had the numbers, like the underlying numbers of like a seventh or eighth place team. And to get now throughout the season, we have the underlying numbers of a seventh, eighth place team. There's no reason to believe that's going to change. Um, none at all. So I guess my expectation is probably seventh. Um, I think, I think Lester would then finish above us barring a massive injury crisis. And I think one of Tottenham or one or both, maybe both of Tottenham and United will get their stuff together um, and finish above us. I, I cannot see top four of Emery. Without, it depends who we bring in. Um, I think that top four at least becomes in the realm of possibilities. Whether we get it, I don't know. But it, there's at least, with change, there's at least a possibility. Um, it's change for change's sake, which I generally don't love. But the way Emery is performing... There's, there's just no point to keep him. Gotcha. Well, good luck to you. <laughs> it's, it seems like it's going to be a difficult time. I do agree, though. I think whichever of United or Arsenal make the first move management-wise, like we talked about in the intro, will probably be the one with a leg up through the rest of the season. Um, <clears throat> just because I do think it's inevitable at both clubs. And maybe at Tottenham. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. Um, speaking of which, do either of you have any Tottenham-related questions? Yeah, I, I was just going to ask. Obviously, coming just straight off the back of of this of this result, obviously it's a bit. The result itself is a bit kind of you know crazy because of obviously the circumstances of the match. But you know, it's it's another week, another two points dropped. Um, how, how are you feeling about the top four prospects for your side right now? And do you feel like you're kind of you've experienced the worst of it, and this and there's something better to come, or do you feel like the the overwhelming narrative is kind of going to continue? There have been a lot of false dawns this season where you think it's about to get better and then it doesn't. Starting literally week one um, in the Aston Villa match where we were losing and looked pretty awful but then came back and scored three goals to win it. And obviously it's a huge relief. You always want to win week one of the season. Um, But that was the first, oh, we're not that good. Oh, maybe we will be. Then the Manchester City match, we largely got outplayed. Could have lost by multiple goals, but it ends up being 2-2. They have another goal chalked off at the same end. 
um, which was ridiculous. At Newcastle, we had two penalty shouts that were both declined. The Arsenal match was just insane. Um, then you have, you know, you have a draw with City and Arsenal and a win through four weeks. You're like, oh, well, that's really not that bad. Then you just annihilate Crystal Palace and things are feeling great. Then Leicester, Sergio Ria scores a goal. It's taken back um, by VAR, end up losing that one. Southampton squeak that. Brighton didn't show up at all. Watford just horrible. Liverpool, oh, signs, signs again. We 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 played them pretty bu- we played them pretty hard. You could make the argument that we were the better side for the majority of that match, but didn't make it count when we were the better side. Much like the Bayern match in the Champions League, we were the better side for a part of that match. Just didn't capitalize. Then obviously the Everton draw, in which you know we had a penalty rejected, they had a penalty rejected. We had again what I think was an erroneous red card. If VAR had been handled better, there wouldn't have been a hundred and eighth minute um, to concede a goal in. Um, just as a recap of our Premier League season, at least thus far, we've been largely unlucky. A lot of things have not gone our way, but also we've been really poor. I mean, we were talking about how Liverpool and City haven't been particularly impressive in some of their matches. Save the Palace match, parts of the Liverpool match, and that like 30-minute 30, 30 comeback against Aston Villa, we have not been good in the Premier League. Oh, I left out, yeah. That, that Palace match was pretty great. Also, a very easy fix to me is the 4-2-3-1. We keep shouting about why Erickson shouldn't start, because he shouldn't be. Um, we also have issues with Aurier, Rose, Toby, and Jan. You know, our best back four. All of whom either tried to leave last summer or can leave for free this coming summer. All of those issues are still lingering, but I honestly think the worst thing that we've done is try to convert to this 4-4-2 diamond. It has not brought us the kind of success that you would have expected a full tactical rebuild to have brung. The 4-2-3-1 is when we play our best. It's not even negotiable at this point um, for me. It's what we played when we totally upended Red Star. Obviously not an incredible side, but we've lost to worse sides in the Premier League this year. Um, It's also what we rolled out against Crystal Palace, because having that width from Sun and Lamella or Sun and Lucas is what allows the midfield to operate. When everything's constricted... Nobody can do anything. Erickson is limited. Also, his vision has been horrible. His touches have been horrible, and he very clearly just doesn't want to be here. Deli Ali needs an injection in the arm. Hopefully, the goal today will give him that, but he hasn't been playing at his best. Then you have just the triumvirate of Wink, Sissoko, and Ndombele. Ndombele very quickly taking control of that midfield, as all of us would have expected, considering his pedigree coming in. Uh, to the club, and he is finally establishing himself as, and looked for the entire half as the best player on the entire pitch today. Um, <clears throat> if we switch back to the four-two-three-one soon and start playing Lacelso over Erickson in particular, I think things could start to turn around pretty quickly. Um, I have not checked the table. I think we were eleventh coming into the weekend. Not sure where we stand after today's mess. Um, Still 11th, yeah, a win could 11th, take yeah. us up to 6th, right? So, like, yeah. it's it, we're not buried by any stretch, but it is not good. And, obviously, a lot of the, the injury stuff hasn't been great. Like, today, a 1-1 draw with Everton at Everton without Kane and Lloris in a vacuum. Eh, you don't love that result, but you'll take it. But, obviously, the way things are transpiring is what particularly isn't lending confidence. So, to answer your question, I really don't know. My guess is still that we finish top four. 
much like the end of last season, the other teams are being uninspiring enough that I think we can sneak in there if Leicester drop off. But, you know, we've all played that game for a whole season before. Um, I hate that game. It's the worst game. <laughs> it's, it's a very, very <laughs> bad game. Um, but, yes, I, I would still say I, I am 51-49 that Tottenham wind up in the top four again. But changes have to happen quickly. And also I recognize that if we lose two or three matches in a row, Potch is probably sacked. We've been riding that knife edge for the better part of a month now. Um, so just kind of... Yeah, I, I was going to ask that. Like, it's kind of the last question for me. Is is Potch out ridiculous? No. Not no, at this okay. stage. Uh, it should be, mm-hmm. based on what he's done and his ability as a manager. Yeah. But his stubbornness is getting the wrong side of him heavy right now. Um, and things definitely need to change. And he's in charge of changing them. That's what's insane. I'm sure Dan has the similar sentiments about Emery, where you just keep seeing your side do the same thing over and over again. You know it doesn't work. Then the few times you fix it, things look great. Like 5-0 against Belgrade and 4-0 against Crystal Palace. We've only played the 4-2-3-1 three times this season, and that was two of them. Like, come on. (laughs) What's, What's taking so long inside the building? Then obviously you hear all the turmoil. We're on the Amazon series, which I'm sure will be very interesting when it talks about today's match. Um, but potch out is not an insane opinion anymore. I still don't hold it personally. I also recognize that it could happen within a few weeks, like I just mentioned, but I'm still not on that side, but yeah, he's, he's going to have to pull the trigger on some things quickly. And I think we can recover if he does, but if he doesn't, things could get much worse before they get better. And it might not be under his tenure. I think I found a new guy I want for Arsenal. (laughs) Yikes. Soul camp. Um, (laughs) anyway, uh, we'll move from there on to players that have been disappointing from my disappointment with Tottenham and Dan's disappointment in Arsenal. Um, name a player at your club that you think is way over-esteemed in the general public than within the fan base. Yeah, I mean, but I've already alluded to it a little bit, but I think Marcus Alonso for me is the obvious candidate here. <laughs> he's like you guys kind of joked. He's he's a bit of like an FPL an FPL legend because you know that he scores the goals. Um, you know, he's kind of got those, that contribution in him. And, I mean, on pure ability level, I mean, he's one of the best guys you'll ever see. It just technique of just striking a ball first time. Um, but he's just overall general play. He's, he's just not a – I would go as far as to say he's just not a Premier League level left back. He's he, he's seriously that bad. I mean, he, he quite literally cost us the game at Man United, the Man United Carabao Cup game. I mean, he was dreadful in that. And, you know, he he has had flashes of, like, being decent this season, but that's mostly because the system just as overall has been has been really strong. And I think he's been a massive, like, benefactor of that. And, I mean, it, it's so, it was so clear just seeing Emerson come into, come into this side this week, just how much better we look when we have a, a fullback that actually just, you know, does – actually like provides an overlap like he doesn't just run in field <laughs> or you know he, does, he doesn't just do dumb things and can actually track back and actually has a little bit of pace to him um i, th- I think that marcus Alonso has been overrated for a long time mostly because of he especially in the chelsea side and a lot of chelsea managers have relied on him uh purely because of his height and we've um traditionally in the last kind of five years had quite a quite a small black back line um especially with people like cesar spilicueta being targeted a lot of the times with crosses um, so I think he's been useful for that, but it really, really, really is time to move on from Marcus Alonso this summer, if not January, to be honest. Um, yeah, for Arsenal, uh, it's probably Danny Ceballos. 
Um, I think Arsenal fans may have gone a bit too far with the hate, but he's not been good. Um, he was really good in the Burnley game, uh, the second game of the season. But outside of that, he's been very, very bleh, very just bland and not good. There's a lot of fancy turns, but doesn't necessarily get you anywhere with them. Um, just a bit sloppy. Uh, doesn't really bring a lot in the final third. Has, has not brought a lot in the final third. And to be fair, I think some of it is he's being played out of position a lot. Um, he's been played as a 10, which is not where he should be played. Um Again, Emery, bleh, but um, I yeah, I think he's been underwhelming. Um, I depending on the price, I'd still be intrigued in uh, taking him on at the end of the season. But I if if we do if he continues to play this way and we do not retain him, I do not think it's the worst thing in the world. That that honestly sounds a lot like how Chelsea fans are talking about Kovacic last season. So I would I would hold my tongue on that one a little bit. Please go, Unai. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, oh dear. You should uh, send me that image and we can make it the pod image for the week. I We're not going to do that. <laughs> no, I want to do good, it. Good, good, good evening. No, good evening. Uh, that's kind of me. I, I don't know. That's actually a report. I don't know if anyone's seen that report, but apparently some of the players in the dressing room were taking uh, the piss out of him for that. That's not a good sign. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's always good it when, thing, when but, people uh, make fun of their boss, it. right? Yeah, that's always a healthy relationship. Yikes. Uh, Yeah, for Tottenham, I know he scored a goal today, but uh, it's Deli Ali. I'm sure a lot of people assumed I would talk about Ericsson, but I think the ability is still there. He's just not applying himself at the moment would be the nice way to say it. As for Deli Ali, I think we all fell in love with the talent very early. I say we all on a show with other London rivals, so maybe not. Especially not Chelsea, who he seems to always score against. But um, I, I, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, but it, it's now been about a year and a half since he's had like a blindingly good match. And that's not to say that he won't be a useful player, that he's not a Premier League player. But it's been long enough now that I'm starting to question whether or not his trajectory has altered. Because before it seemed pretty direct, he went from League One and then was going to be, you know, uh, an international star. And now I'm I'm just reining that reining that in a little bit. A, I'm sure he'll be at Tottenham longer than he initially expected. Um, I don't think you know two two years ago maybe was it that that the big clubs came sniffing around after he had another ten ten season, um, and that certainly died down. Um, and I honestly think his enthusiasm, which used to carry us, the, the youthful enthusiasm of Dyer and Delhi when they both came in, I'm pretty sure it was the same year. Um, obviously, we signed Delhi in the January and they started playing in, in the fall. I, I think they came in together. And I think that really gave us a boost when we were a young team. It solidified our midfield more. Um, well, actually, Dyer was the defender back then, so hold that thought. But um, it just seemed like... The, the enigma that was Deli Ali was always firing the right way. Yes, sometimes there were fouls in red cards, and it was easy to distract him if you got him mad, but he largely calmed that down, and I'm almost wondering if he lost that motivation in that process. Obviously, he was hurt last year. It was his first time meaningfully being hurt in his professional career. Maybe he still doesn't feel quite right, or he hasn't adjusted uh, since, but I, I just think that the trajectory for Deli Ali has gone from probably world-class international superstar to, like, Probably not. 
Like he, he can still be very good, but I, I'm not sure he will reach those heights anymore. Much like us this season, when you asked about that, Stephen, could I be wrong? Yes. Could he turn things around? Also, yes. Could this goal help do that? Triple yes. But where we stand right now, I'm thinking Deli Ali might not become the player that we all expected uh, when he came and burst on the scene as a teenager. All right, and we will wrap up with match previews coming to you now, Stephen. An exciting one for you as you get to host Ajax, who were supposed to fall off after losing uh, the likes of Delict and De Jong, but turns out still pretty good. Yeah, you yeah, know, it turns out that they just have that kind of conveyor belt and we'll always have that conveyor belt of, of young talent coming into the side. And um, yeah, <laughs> there, there's so many players in, in, in that side that I think, um, especially having played them that obviously just a, just over like kind of a week and a bit ago now, um, that I think we have to be we have to be careful of. Um, as an American, Kevin, you'll, you'll obviously know about Dest, and you know I thought I think that um, he, he's someone to, he's someone to be wary of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, Zayek obviously he looks great, um, but yeah, it is a home game for us, and it's it's a massive one in terms of our Champions League ambitions, whatever they are. <laughs> you know, whether it's just making it to the to the to the next round or the next stage of of matches, or whether it's not you know trying. And go however far we can go. Um, I, I think that this this is massive and will kind of um, determine where we finish in the group, whether or not we win or lose this game. I think that if we win this game, we're in a great position to go win this group and get ourselves a, a really good, a really nice looking tie. Um, if we lose the game, then I think it'll be um, it, it'll it'll be a bit of a it'll it'll go down to the wire. <laughs> I think um, for kind of whether or not we finish first, second, or third, it'll be really tight. Um, See, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to the game. Um, I think we're going to see Pulisic and Callum Hudson-Odoi um, play on on either wing, which is which should be really exciting. Um, and that's kind of something that Chelsea fans have been looking forward to for a while. We've seen a little bit of it, but kind of never in a in a starting capacity. And I think that Reese James will also be involved from a starting capacity as well. So um, a lot of attacking flair in in that in that side. Um, it potentially also could be their return for Kante, which um, is going to you know, I never, ever, ever in my life thought that I would say Kante coming back could disrupt a midfield. But the way that Kovacic and Jorginho are going right now, it, it, Frank Lampard is really, really, really going to have a, an interesting midfield selection dilemma on his hands. So I'm keen to see kind of um, how that evolves. And it all starts versus Ajax this week. Yeah, then for Tottenham, we get to face Red Star Belgrade yet again. I do not think we won 5-0 this time again. I assume that they will make some adjustments after last time, although the talent gap is about that wide. Um, I assume that we'll see Lo Celso and Sessegnon. Both of them got into today's match um, in a very exciting uh, development. Sessegnon played for the first time for us after obviously signing on deadline day. It had been... Sometime he was dealing with an injury. We did sign him while he had an injury. This is not something that cropped up like Lo Celso, who obviously got injured when he was on Argentina duty and then got called up again, which Poch voiced some displeasure at and <laughs> implied that his uh, passport may be revoked. Um, but uh, it will be exciting to see those two on. It will be interesting to see if Kane has recovered from his illness, which kept him out of today's match. If so, it would be really fun to see Troy Parrott lead the line. Um, but I am hesitant to make that many changes to a side that won 5-0 against that side last time. Um, because this is what happened against Colchester, is we had a match coming up, and we were like, oh, well, this one's easy. We'll rotate a lot, and then that team did nothing. 
Um, and then by the time we brought in the heavy hitters like Sun and Erickson, glare, um, it wasn't enough. So <clears throat> I think we will still probably win, but the more changes we make, the less likely it becomes. And I'll leave it at that. Dan, we'll wrap up with you. Vittoria versus Arsenal. Tottenham legend Marcus Edwards opened the scoring last time, but she managed to come back and win off the back of Nicolas Pepe scoring a couple of great free kicks. What do you think will be in store for uh, what I thought was Thursday, but it showed up as Wednesday on my calendar? Oh, it is Wednesday. Oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, this, this is a thing. Um, well, yeah, Wednesday. Yay. Um, I hope we win. Uh even after watching him last game, I still don't know a whole lot about him. But we did not play very well, but we won. Um, hopefully we do it again. <laughs> uh, we could, we could clinch in a more wide um, picture discussion, we could clinch our, um, our progression to the next stage of Europa League, which is wonderful and totally unexpected. Didn't, didn't expect that coming in at all. Um, but yeah, hopefully we win. I'm not sure. I'm not all that bothered. We get to watch young players. That's genuinely fun. And we have lots of interesting young players. Um, and hopefully we win. Uh, if we don't win, that'll be somewhat disappointing. But quite frankly, uh, we have bigger fish to fry. Yeah, for anybody wondering why it is on the Wednesday, it's due to some weird UEFA rule where two teams from the same region can't play home games on the same day. Of course, Braga hosting Bajiktas, And they are indeed quite close, according to an article that references maps. Um, but we will leave it there. Thanks to you guys so much for coming on. If you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, guys, like, like I mentioned at the start of the show, you can find me um, at Mr. Stephen James underscore on Twitter. Usually my ramblings are, uh, can be found all there. And yeah, I'm Dan, still an Arsenal fan, and you can still catch me on Twitter at the underscore jersey underscore fits. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find my fantasy writings various places. I also do live ma- live match coverage for Omnisport, so if you're interested in either of those, check them out. Thanks again to you guys for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.